So welcome no. everyone to this Cybersecurity Magazine. I'm Philippa Jeffries and I'm here with Philip Ingram, MBE from Greyhair Media. And today we are chatting about security in nation states, the power of information and the upcoming Cyber Expo in September. Um, so welcome, Philip. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, good to be with you, Philippa. Um, can you perhaps start by introducing yourself a little bit and your background? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people may have seen me on their televisions or mm -hmm. hear me on radio or see my commentary in the newspapers or magazines. Uh, I'm, I'm now a journalist that specialises in everything security. So mm -hmm. cyber, counterterrorism, um, and I keynote speak in cyber ac across the globe um, uh, and uh, touch a little bit on defence and, and, and other things. But that's because of my background. I was a um, senior um, intelligence officer in mm -hmm. the British Army. Um, leaving as a full colonel um, and spent 26 years uh, looking at all of these things from a, an intelligence perspective, now from a journalist perspective. So is that mm -hmm. gamekeeper turned poacher or poacher turned gamekeeper? <laughs> yeah, um, and to start with, I guess, you, you've spoken a lot about nation states and the threat, kind of threats they pose. Um, I was hoping to start by just chatting a little bit about this when it comes to cybersecurity specifically. Um, and kind of what extent are nation states themselves performing cyber attacks or things like that, or sponsored nation state sponsored attacks? Well, you know, nation states, it's, it's one of those cries that we hear all of the time. Oh, it's a nation state attack, it's this, it's that, it's the other. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you get you know, the mandiant numbers come in, oh, it's APT1 or APT whatever. And, and then people come in with their fancy bears and, and other titles. And, and it's very difficult actually to work out who's doing what, where, when. Mm -hmm. um, but nation states are very real and um, huge operators within the cyber environment. You know, balancing them off against cyber criminals, against uh, mm -hmm. um, I would probably say that the greatest threat is nation states because they sponsor a lot of the cyber criminals um, who are within those state environments. And I can expand on that um, if necessary. Um, and uh, they uh, certainly have got more resources that they'll throw at things. So say, for example, um, China's quoted often, APT1 mm -hmm. in the mandiant terms is really China's People Liberation's Army Unit 61398. And there's sort of, I think, 29 different APTs um, associated uh, with, with China. And they tend to focus um, either geographically or subject matters on the sorts of things that they're trying to do. Um, a, lot, a lot of other threats come out of Russia. We hear of mm -hmm. Iran, we hear of North Korea. North Korea is interesting um, in that, you know, how can a country where people um, don't grow up with the internet, they don't have access to computers, uh, they don't have academics who um, understand IT and computers and computing and, and the latest threat, uh, latest trends, how can they all of a sudden become uh, such an adept nation in dealing with things? And there are only two internet routes in and out of North Korea, mm -hmm. one supplied by China, one supplied by Russia. Um, so you know, are they a plausibly deniable outlet for cyber bad boys if they want to do that? Possibly. But you know, the, the nation straight threats are very, very real indeed. And each different nation has got a slightly different target set that they're looking for. Okay, um, and moving on from that kind of target set, what kind of, I was hoping you could expand on kind of the motivations for some of these nation states for, and whether they're the same or they're very different. Um, they're, they're, they're very different. It's, it's all in, in effect. Um, and I'll start mm -hmm. off with China again. You know, the one thing that drives China with everything um, is economics, economics, mm -hmm. economics, if that's not three things. Um, 
Uh, and that's that's because what they're trying to do is gain economic advantage for China. Um, and that yeah. means that what are they trying to do? They're trying to target companies uh, where they can steal the intellectual property from those companies. Um, and why do they want to steal the intellectual property? Well, it saves them billions of dollars in research themselves. If they can just take plans that are already mature, that are out there, that says how to manufacture something, whether that be a new bit of technology, whether it be a new drug, whether it be um, uh, you know, something else, they'll, they'll take those plans and they'll try and then replicate that and get it out into market um, quicker than um, mm -hmm. those that have put all the design in and also cheaper because they're not having to add into the manufacturing costs, the development costs. And that's why in many cases they try and undercut a lot of the technologies that we're seeing out elsewhere. Now, and then around the economics, it's all the politics that are associated with mm -hmm. that that China's interested in. So you know, where governments are making big um, uh, uh, economic decisions. Uh, and then from a wider geographic perspective, it's threats that they perceive to China. So you know, the, the Chinese are focused very much on the, the uh, Uyghur diaspora um, across the world and, and those that might be supporting them. Uh, and remember that's the uh, oppressed um, uh, uh, people inside China, uh, principally of uh, Muslim faith, uh, that uh, have uh, education and rehabilitation camps that they're put into, mm -hmm. um, and, and anything that that threatens um, that that side of things. Whereas if you get to Russia, who's probably the other major player that's in there, mm -hmm. Russia is very much focused on um, the political sphere and political influence, um, and trying to. Um, influence what is going on in Western elections, in what's going on in Western um, business um, decisions, and also interested in defence, so anything that there is to do with defence. Uh, and we see um, you know, lots of different attacks coming out of Russia and elsewhere. And we've, we've seen the use of uh, potential cyber weapons in the past. In 2017, we saw NotPetya and WannaCry, you know, the, mm -hmm. the um, NotPetya unit uh, from Russia was uh, that that um, prosecuted that attack was uh, a GRU unit and the GRU are Russia's first directorate, their military intelligence service. They're a bit like a combination between sort of special forces, CIA, MI6 and, uh, you know, a, 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 and um, a little bit more. But that the unit that did that was GRU unit 74455. Um, and they had originally set it as a military target. They'd put um, the malware in um, uh, an application that was targeted at Ukraine, interestingly, into the mm -hmm. Ukraine um, uh, businesses through a bit of accounting software that they all had to use, um, but then it escaped into the wild. And we know mm -hmm. the effects that that had across the world. Uh, but it also broke an awful lot of Russian computers inside the Russian Ministry of Defense, okay. which is why you were not necessarily seeing as much cyber activity at the scales mm. we potentially expected whenever whenever Russia um, uh, yeah. re, re Ukraine. And then Iran, North Korea, in North Korea, we've, we've, we've seen the Sony hacked. Iran, we keep um, hearing of attacks into Saudi and into other parts of the Middle East and out, out towards um, uh, the United States. Again, political, military uh, influence mm -hmm. in what they're trying to do. So the target sets are very different. The activity is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you've been in this industry a long time, not just cybersecurity, but security in general. Um, I was wondering, what, how have you kind of seen nation state threats and cyber attacks from nation states develop over the last few years? Like obviously they're becoming more prevalent as now we digitize everything, but I just wonder what your thoughts are on how it's developed. Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult question to answer um, because mm -hmm. you know, cyber itself has been developing continuously. Um, and 
Um, it's the effort that's put into it. And it's interesting to see some of the tools that are being used. Um, you know, I didn't, when I was mentioning the na nation states, uh, I didn't mention the United States, United Kingdom, yeah. um, uh, some of the European nations, all the rest of it, because um, you, you, they're as active in the cyber environment as elsewhere. Sure. And mm -hmm. the, the, some of the tools that we're seeing um, China and um, uh, Russia turning around and using on a global basis are tools that they have um, uh, stolen from or were leaked from uh, US Okay. cyber organizations and it's the eternal blue tool set that's there and we're seeing those being recoded and turned around and turned back on us again the um iranians are have been or iranians have been um very successful in taking the stuxnet um uh, malware that mm -hmm. attacked their nuclear centrifuges and was almost certainly um a, a u.s israeli or a u.s only or is israeli only but it was a nation state attack um against um uh, iran but they've taken that malware and recoded it in a way to use it very successfully against you know, saudi arabia the saudi amroco uh, attack um uh, and and others so you know, as the cyber environment develops so does the, the the attack methodologies um in many ways all of the old methodologies still work because a lot of the mm -hmm. old vulnerabilities are still there. We've seen an increase in um, the zero day marketplace across the globe and people mm -hmm. buying zero day exploits and then using those. And then we're seeing new environments and the new environments tie in with um, uh, what's coming in the metaverse. Uh, and there's a lot more going to happen in there. Um, and um, through all of this, we've seen uh, a, a ramping up, an increase of exploitations in what are called the information environment. So information mm -hmm. exploitations, because you know, I remember as a child, um, you were, uh, I, I go to tell my mother that I'd been called names in the playground at school, and she'll say, oh, don't worry, you know, sticks and stones will break your bones, mm -hmm. but words will never harm you. Well, that's wrong, your words can kill. Definitely, um, and going back to a bit what you were saying about how they how cybersecurity and cyber attacks have developed in this area. I was wondering um, how na specifically nation state attacks vary compared to kind of individual or small group attacks and how easy is it to kind of determine what really is a, a nation state threat? Well, the methodologies that they use, certainly the lower levels are exactly the same. So you'll, mm -hmm. you'll get you'll get phishing, you'll get spear phishing, um, uh, you'll, you'll get you'll get um, you know, deliberate denial of service attacks to force yeah. people onto uh, other other means, um, uh, that, uh, and those are means that are exploited. Uh, and interestingly, you know, I was I was doing some research for a keynote um, speech I did in Finland a couple of weeks ago, and um, you know, the, I wanted to know when the first nation state deliberate denial of service attack was, mm -hmm. um, and um, it shocked me when I found it uh, found out what it was. It happened on the fifth of August. 2000, sorry, 1914, not even 2000. Um, the 5th of August, okay. 1914, it was the first aggressive act by the British uh, in the First World War, whenever uh, an inspector Bordeaux of British intelligence boarded uh, the cable ship Alert and went out into the middle of the English mm -hmm. Channel and cut four of the five cables carrying telegram traffic from continental Europe across the rest of the globe. Left the fifth cable because the fifth cable yeah. went through the UK uh, and uh, British intelligence had already tapped into it and broken the codes on it. And German um, uh, 
government had to communicate with its embassies, either using high frequency radio, which again the British could intercept and mm -hmm. open the codes on, or this one final cable that was there. And that led to the interception of um, uh, what was known as the Zimmerman telegram. And that for the historical aficionados out there is the, uh, the, the telegram that was used to bring the United States into the First World War. Mm -hmm. So we've got a, you know, a denial of service attack forcing um, uh, someone onto another means that you've already got an exploit on it. And yeah. That's a methodology that we see today across the board. So th they use just about everything that they can. The, the thing that nation states bring in are the ability to prosecute much more sophisticated attacks because they can bring an awful lot of resources together to ensuring that um, you know, whenever they're getting into different ex exploits uh, and everything else that they are much more sophisticated than you find out of a criminal organization um, who are you know, criminal organizations have got one motivation, money, 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 money. Mm -hmm. Um, the script kitty side of things who tend to be the ones that find the zero days in many cases um, because it's it's seen as a challenge so it's um you know it, it, it it's it's interesting um and ever-changing yeah definitely and that's amazing that yeah denial of service started such a long time ago but is now still one of the key exactly. ways of attack exactly and um you kind of brushed upon this as a point that um as part of this kind of threats on nation states and security and cybersecurity is the power of information, protecting information, finding information. Um, um, <laughs> how, how, it's, how important is that kind of in today's climate, today's threat landscape, this kind of transfer of information between the nation states? Well, the transfer of information, you're the, first of all, you're, a lot of nation states are after the intercepted information. Um, mm -hmm. you know, whenever. Um, China wants intellectual property, that's information, that's data, it, it mm -hmm. wants to steal it. Um, the Russians want inf information because that information is used to process into intelligence that gives them economic views and all the rest of it. But um, they're also very good at weaponizing it. Now, um, we, we often heard Donald Trump talking fake news. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, fake news as, as the weaponization of uh, what was being seen in the media. It's nothing new. Um, you know, the great Chinese philosopher Sun Tzu in the sixth century in his book, The Art of War wrote, all warfare is deception, all deception is warfare. Mm -hmm. I paraphrased it slightly. And my ancient Chinese is not that good. But um, you know, the, you de deception ties in with uh, misinformation, disinformation uh, and everything else. Um, and you, we see a lot of it. You know, misinformation is, um, incorrect information that is accidentally put out there. You're not, um, you don't know it's it's uh, it's wrong. You're putting it out there because you think it might be right, and you're and you're you're letting people know, but it's not a deliberate act. Disinformation, however, is a deliberate act. You know okay. that what you're putting out there is um, wrong, and you're trying to have an effect, uh, and that effect could be to try and influence um, your people's thinking or anything else. And there's some very sophisticated research and on you know, my own website, greyhairmedia.com, I've got um, a, a blog I did a couple of years ago on hacking your serotonin. Um, and you, it, it looks at how you can take um, a, a sort of aggressive marketing techniques, mm -hmm. but then if you apply big data where you understand an individual and an individual's influences and, and I include their friends and their friends' influences and family and family influences mm -hmm. in a lot of detail, you can then start to feed 
um, information in and away through social media um, that will um, certainly influence the way people think. And research has shown that you can actually change the way people think. And part of the reason for that is you know, we all carry uh, mobile devices now, mobile phones, where sure. your data is fed to you through so many different means continuously. Uh, and, and therefore, people, um, whenever you're looking at it, you, you're, how, how quick do you scroll through Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or anything else? Uh, and as you're scrolling through, people are making assessments as to what they're saying. They're replying very quickly. And actually, when you think about it, people aren't really thinking about what they're saying. So, so it's much more um, uh, of an environment where it can be influenced by organisations that are feeding you something that maybe you do think about and it supports what you've done and all the rest of it. And then with social media, um, there's, there's another bit that comes into it often where I call it self-misinforming groupthink. Um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people on their social media feeds will be turning around and um, looking at what's coming in and you have a bit of a, a social media spat with someone where you know, they disagree with what you're saying and it gets to the point where you block them. Yeah. And then you, you do the same and someone else comes and you think, oh, I disagree with you, you block them. And you do that, and then all of a sudden, after you're sort of a few weeks or so, you suddenly see that in your feed, everyone's agreeing with you, and, and mm -hmm. there reinforces what it is. You know, I, I must be right. You know, everyone's agreeing yeah. with me. But the reason why they're agreeing with you is you've blocked all of the alternatives, yeah, yeah. and therefore yeah, you're in an echo chamber, right? You're in an echo chamber, and you're getting that group think going. So that is known by nation states and is exploited. You know, mm -hmm. the, the Russians have got a doctrine yeah. called Maskarovka brilliant word. Um, uh, my Russian pronunciation is probably way off if there's any Russian speakers listening in, but um, uh, maskarovka means masking, literally masking. Um, and therefore, it's, it's masking the truth by putting um, uh, you know, bits of disinformation around to try and um, cause uh, doubt in people's minds as to what the accuracy is and the reality is behind something. And we saw that in um, a few years ago with the uh, Russian a nerve agent attack on Sergei Skripal in Salisbury um, and immediately after it happened and the then Prime Minister Theresa May stood up in the British Parliament and said it was the Russians that did it. Um, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, stood up and said uh, it, it wasn't uh, not in Parliament but he put a press comment out saying it couldn't have been us, it definitely wasn't us, um, it must have escaped from the British chemical warfare establishment mm -hmm. at Porton Down which is just outside Salisbury uh, and then you know, listening to that, the next day the leader of the opposition stood up in, in Parliament um, when debating what Theresa May had said and said, ah, oh, we, we must check and see that it didn't escape from the, um, mm -hmm. the, the chemical warfare establishment of Porton Down, because uh, how do we know it was definitely the Russians? You know, to my mind, Vladimir Putin was sitting in Moscow behind his great big oak desk with a very large glass of vodka over ice in the best Russian mm -hmm. crisp. Um, with a big white cat on his knee as he was stro stroking it going, yes, look, that's worked, hasn't it? Yeah, so it's this kind of information that we have now and, and social media and this environment online now can be used definitely um, aggressively by other nations. And, and it is used aggressively. It, it is, is used to influence um, elections. Mm -hmm. It is used to influence the way people think uh, and, and it's done in a very sophisticated way. Um, you, know, you, you have to look at the who funds a lot of the um, information videos that come out and get circulated around and the more mm -hmm. viral they get the better uh, and then you know, with, within that um, there, there's wider app security so whether that those apps are used to influence the messaging that's coming in and, and yeah. 
combinable back big data or the apps are used for other nefarious purposes. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that's certainly going on as well. Okay, and looking, having looked at the issues, um, now perhaps moving on to security and what we can be doing to help counter this a little bit, though I imagine it's very difficult with the widespread use of the internet, um, especially in the West. It, it, it is. Um, I think it's more a cultural thing than a technical thing. Uh, okay. and therefore, I think I think any solutions that are out there are, are relatively they're relatively straightforward to describe. They're not relatively straightforward to implement because changing culture and changing the way people think um, mm -hmm. is always extremely difficult, especially when that's informed by society. And and it's not just individuals; it's a societal thing. Um, if you look at wider cyberspace, and one of the things I I, I uh, describe to people is in the physical environment you know when to close the curtains in your room before you do anything. Mm -hmm. You know when to close the front door of your house when you do anything. You know when to lock that door in your house and to lock the windows or, or anything else. You know what when to lock something in a cabinet uh, and all the rest of it. So that's all physical security. We know intuitively how to do that because we can see the potential threats and we're aware of them that's going on. But that doesn't seem to happen in cyberspace. People will do things online, they'll post things online, they'll send something in a message to someone else mm -hmm. that they don't know what the route is and who can see that and all the rest of it because they believe it will be secure and all the rest of it. They'll, they'll do stuff that they would never, ever, ever, ever consider doing in their back garden, never mind in the, um, the, the reception area of the local supermarket as you go through sure. the doors. Um, yet it's exposed. Um, and, and, and they don't know who can exploit it and who can see it and all that and people seem surprised. So I think people need to be aware of and take ownership of um, their digital visibility and digital vulnerabilities within that. Um, and then we've got into, into the cultural bit of you know, understanding that the threats are out there. And, and, and this is this is uh, an education piece. It's it getting mm -hmm. people to properly understand that um, the threats are out there and where you sit in that um, sphere of, of potentially being targeted by nation states, by criminals, by script kiddies or, or anything else. Um, and, and then when you understand that, properly putting it into context and in a, a business environment, putting it into context in um, your risk register so that you're, you're looking at it and you're taking all of the um, methodology that you need to try and mitigate that risk. And most of it is just, is just awareness and making awareness uh, amongst mm -hmm. your um, uh, your, your staff and everything else. And again, the information sphere comes into this. You know, one of the biggest areas that can be damaged when it comes to information um, getting out, the wrong information getting out, is uh, a, a brand reputation. Uh, and if that sure. brand reputation is damaged, how much could that potentially influence um, the turnover of a business? Um, and you know, we look at things like that. You know, I remember a few years ago, the Talk Talk um, breach where data was leaked uh, and and every, everything else. And in the back of my mind, when I look at um, people saying, I'll give you the best broadband deal and the talk talk leaflet comes through immediately, I go, oh, no, oh, I remember mm -hmm. that. that was the brand reputation stopping me doing business with them. You know, how many other thousands and thousands of people is it stopping and doing that? And, and therefore, if you look at this from a brand reputation perspective, you can then put a cost against it and um, look at your information policies, who monitors um, what is going out in social media from workforces and from within your building? Whose responsibility is it? Is it a mm -hmm. cyber responsibility or, or is it um, uh, your comms team responsibility or is it someone else's responsibility? A lot of companies 
probably hadn't even thought of it as a, a as a risk, but I think mm -hmm. it is, and because it's transmitted over <coughs> excuse me many things that um, you fall into the cyber area. I think you know, the cyber has to be the cyber teams have to be part of it. So mm -hmm. you know, it's fascinating. Um, there's lots yeah. to be done, um, and I wouldn't automatically go for a technical solution. Okay. Yeah, it's something we discuss a lot as Cybersecurity Magazine is uh, cybersecurity awareness and also kind of responsibility where that falls, whether it's on the individual to, you know, monitor their own activity, like you're saying on, on social media and things just to be aware, or is it down to, like you say, companies, cybersecurity teams? Um, it's an interesting question, especially when it comes down to it's not really a technical thing, but a cultural thing. Um, and, and, and therefore, because of that, you know, I look at it from the risk perspective, and, mm -hmm. and the risk perspective is um, to the business. You know, yeah. the, the, you know, the damage is going to come in, and that's potentially going to affect the bottom line of the business, um, whether that be reputational damage, whether that be um, uh, having to pay fines because you've had a data breach and it's regulatory damage, which will have a reputational aspect to it, mm -hmm. or, or whether it's anything else. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a business risk, and therefore, it has to start at the top. It's the CEO and the board who are responsible. Um, and uh, within that, uh, I think there has to be uh, a culture where you generate a, a community of responsibility. So everyone within the organization is responsible for cyber because mm -hmm. people connect. People are um, the ones that are downloading something from the internet. They're opening an email with a link in it and making a decision yeah. as to whether to click on that link or not. Um, and, mm -hmm. and this is where you've got an awareness through education and you've got a culture of if someone gets something wrong, they've got the ability to go, oh, I've got this wrong. Is there any damage done? And be able to ask. Mm -hmm. and, um, there, there's not a culture of blame coming in. There's not a culture yeah. of punishment coming in. There's a culture of saying, oh, thank you. You've helped mitigate the risk because yeah. we all move so fast that we, that we will make mistakes. You know, a, a friend yeah. of mine um, was the, the size of a, a company and he'd got a, a penetration testing team to come in and look at things and uh, he'd given them a series of serials to, to look through. And one of the serials was um, uh, you know, spear phishing, uh, and it was coming mm -hmm. in. And, uh, you know, he knew that we were going to come in over a two or three day period. He was sitting there, come in in the morning, made his coffee. His phone had gone off. He got an email coming in in there. There was someone knocking at the door. He was trying to answer all of it at once. Yeah. Opened up, opened up an email from um, the CEO and, and clicked on it and uh, looked at it. And all of a sudden, his screen went blank. He was the first person in the company yeah. for the red team spear phishing attack that he had set up. Um, and you know, if you've got people who are within the business can fall for it. Mm -hmm. for it. So you know, that cultural bit is is really important and better it's reported and dealt with rather mm -hmm. than um, people try to hide from it. Yeah, and it's definitely it's knowing what to do, what not to do, but also who to go to and what to do once something happens. Once exactly. you've opened that email right. and you've realised yeah. I shouldn't no, have the, done the that. The culture of talking about it and, and you can always have a laugh and it always gives you um, lots of good stories then over, mm -hmm. over a beer, a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. But yeah, people in the company need to be prepared in exactly. order to protect against that. Okay, um, I'm afraid we're kind of coming to the end of our time now. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Um, but finally, towards the end of September, you're part of the International Cyber Expo in London. Um, would you like to end just by talking about that a little bit? Yeah, 27th, 28th September at uh, mm -hmm. Olympia in London, free to attend. 
um, and International Cyber Expo. It says Expo. There's an Expo bit, to it, but there's um, a separate um, Cyber Summit, and I'm putting the content mm -hmm. of the summit together. Um, and it's it's completely free. Um, it is designed to try and get people out of their senior people out of their offices because the content's good and the, the high-level speakers are good. Last year. Um, the, the Chief Information Security Officer of Oxford University came along to it um, mm -hmm. and I asked him why he spent two days there and he said he spent two days there because he got all of the CPD that he needed um, in one go and he could then go and pick and choose the vendors that um, he wanted to okay. talk to and then send all of the uh, 15 or 20 vendor emails a day he gets straight mm -hmm. to Trump because he could get that done in a two-day period. And we're hitting that sort of level. So you know, from the National Cyber Security Centre, uh, looking at uh, national policies, hopefully mm -hmm. trying to get um, uh, DCMS in to talk about it on the, on the government side, but then drilling into a lot, a lot of the, the detail that's out there from you know, the, the regular type of attacks that we're seeing, a nation-state attack understanding, getting into DDoS, and, and all of the other types of attacks, but then trying to approach things from slightly different angles. So there'll be bits in it on uh, quantum computing, there'll be bits in it okay. on uh, blockchain, there, there'll be quite mm -hmm. a bit in on the importance of diversity within the cyber environment uh, that we're looking at, and, and women in cyber, um, uh, as, as well as you know, a number of other interesting subjects, including you know, the legal aspects of it. You know, I've got a barrister mm -hmm. coming in, who is one of the country's leading barristers in the cyber environment. Uh, you know, she'd normally be charging uh, two to four thousand pounds an hour and, and mm -hmm. you know, we're getting a free half hour of her time giving her insights into things. That has to be worth anyone's time to come and listen. Definitely. Thank you so much. Um, I will put links to the Cyber Expo um, with the podcast and it's also on our website on our homepage if anyone is interested. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's been really Fantastic. interesting. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.